Well, hello, Inside Scoopers. Look where we are. It has been a minute since we've been back in the studio. Back like feeling like it's almost real life again. It's nice to be. It's nice to be together. Yes. And um, I think we just need to announce that we have a third Planet Pause lovely guest. I think you just think we need to break her out right now. We have the one and only lovely B. I don't think she was expecting that. I don't think she wants to, but come and say hi. Yay! So for everybody who wonders every week when we say we have our wonderful, incredible editor who puts together all of our awesome stuff. And that beautiful photo that you saw with the milk thistle and all the organs. Voila. Thank you. Maybe say something inspirational. I'm sorry. I was busy eating a donair. Mm. <laughs> so how is it? It's delicious. So I gained five pounds in one meal, but it's, it's really good. Gosh. So the world famous Donair from Nova Scotia is some, it's like a gyro with a, with a, a sugary Sweet twist. And condensed milk. Yeah. Topping, Sounds disgusting, but people love them. And you were served the official Haligonian food. And I picked this beautiful flower in Shuby Park in honor of our Milk Thistle blog today. We got to get her a mic. We got to get B a mic. So next week, we'll like if you guys want B to be like in the podcast, leave some love. If you have no interest in her being in the podcast, just don't say anything. We won't say anything to her either. <laughs> just don't say anything. Just don't show any love, whatever, if you don't want B to like be like a third person in the podcast. But it's so awesome to have it everyone is. together. It is. We're all here together, of course, too. We're ramping up for something super exciting. Something. Guess what arrived in the mail today? It's called a galley. It's, it's our a, fake book. It's it's well, it's kind of a real, book, real book with typos. It's a book with typos. Yeah, it's kind of like what the Forever Dog book. So if you're new to the group, also welcome to all the new members who have joined. I'm Rodney Habib. This is B. Adams Extraordinaire, Planet Pause team member, and of course, the legendary Dr. Karen Becker, if you didn't already know. For all my fellow Canadians, too, that are in the group, how is it like traveling? Because we, of course, have been stuck in Canada now for going on almost two yeah. years. Uh, but it's looking promising. It looks like July 21st, the borders could be open up and people could slowly start traveling here in Canada. How we'll was see. it? How was it? Uh, B had a trip from hell, like three hours of interrogation. Uh, I... I had the blessing of my customs officer knowing who I was and took the opportunity to ask a bunch of free questions for his scent trade beagles. So as I was presenting him, I had nine documents ready, like so my work awesome. permit, all my, you know, all my, why I am, am allowed to get into your country. As I was spoon feeding him my documents, I just kept wanting him to talk about his beagles. So I'm like, so what are you training next? And how are you doing that? And what are you using for reinforcement? And he was so excited to talk about his beagles that I'm like, okay, well, I think it's time for me to go. And I just took my little sheet and on my, I went. So I got through customs in. Three minutes. B got through customs in three hours. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's yeah. So it's it's not awesome, but it's a it's at least it's a work in progress. And and like I say, it's slowly opened up, and hopefully all of us can all see each other again one yes. day where we can all Actually, hug and be normal. Our goal is in sometime right around the time of the book release, we want to do a book tour, which means you come to my country. And it will see how it happens in the, reverse. And, and the, back in. the requests. So thank you, because uh, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of people. Like the requests that people want us to come by, uh, specialty, retail, so local nice. independence, even a lot of you here in the group that have sent emails to our PR company about uh, coming to do a book tour at your shops. Awesome. So yes. thank you so very much for everybody who's sending those. Um, yeah, we hope that the world opens up so we can start doing this. We do. We do. And, you know, we were just thankful for everyone that is, a, that, and people have emailed me as well. All of my beautiful Chicago store owners. I have 13 of my clients open stores in Chicago. Most of you guys are in this group. Thank you so much. Each and every one of you emailed me and said, hey, I want to do a book tour. Harper did give us permission to do that public query. We are not in charge of picking what stores we go to and when and setting that up. That's all under kind of the book. And so we are putting in a strong um, plea that we would like to hit everyone's locations to be able to hit many locations around North America. And we're hoping that they will honor us. We right now, they said their current official policy is still no in-person events because of liability. We do believe that that has to change by October because the world is opening up. So we'll keep you all posted. And thank you all for the unbelievable support about um, responding to that, to that post. It was good. Yeah, it was awesome. Now today, 
we're going to try for the short format. It's not look. It's not looking Ooh, very promising because we're well, twelve minutes already we, in. We also have two highly controversial topics. My God, the Ooh. messages I got from. So first of all, we we posted uh, for. Here's what I'd like to know for the new people that are signing up into the group. Just drop a comment in the comment section. Are you guys here because of the milk thistle post? Because we had to do two separate posts. We did it on your page. On my page, we did the milk thistle post because so many people were messaging all week. Hey, can you guys do a post about milk thistle? We'd really like to see it. Dr. Karen Becker's milk thistle that she picked today here in Nova Scotia, which grows. Um, but then, like over the last 48 hours, people have been blowing up my DMs, text messages. Everybody's like, are you going to talk about what's happening right now with this whole raw food dilemma? The Guardian, now there was, it's so crazy. This study came out July the 6th. And if you guys go back and you watch past podcasts, you guys will see that we kept saying, oh, we just ran out of time. We didn't get to cover this study. And it, we just kept kind of pushing it down because we didn't really think, you know, we've covered the topic many times about and, pet food and antibiotic resistance. And we have a whole different spin on it. And it was not that overwhelmingly important because we've covered it a million times. Yeah. But then. Then the, the Guardian, Guardian wrote an article Ooh. about it, blew it up. So to go back to my original question. So on your post, we posted about today's one of today's topics, which is going to be we're going to talk about should raw food be banned all over the world and globally. The World Health Organization wants to step in. I was just talking this morning. I don't have the article quoted here. It was either I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they said 10 million people will be dead by 2050 if somebody doesn't step in and do something about oh, raw food. For, where, come on, I did not I got see it. that. I no, got no, it. I'm going to load it up. I got it on The Guardian. So B, can you fact check that for me? The Guardian post on the very bottom. I know they said 700,000 people a year die from antibiotic resistance, oh, if I'm not crying. mistaken. And they're, and they're trying to pin it on raw food? And they said by 2050, it'll be 10 million if people don't jump in and do something oh, about raw food. So we posted on your page about that. So if you're in this group today, new, which one of those two interested you the most, milk thistle? So we, we decided to do both anyways. We we're just very curious to see which yeah. would have interest people yeah. the most. Good news is we're here to talk about them today. Do you want me to just cut right into it Let's and jump it. right into it? So if you have not seen the article that's posted by the guy, oh my gosh, this is so new that I got to get used to all of my slides here to make sure that I'm on the right slide. Uh, I believe it is this slide right here. Yes. So on the right-hand side, there's the first one. Raw dog food may be fueling the spread of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. On the left is the actual study, I believe from Portugal. Um, industrial dog food is a vehicle of multidrug-resistant enterococci. Am I saying that right? Yeah, enterococci. Cocci. Uh, carrying virulence genes often linked to human infections. So basically, the highlight of this study right here was to talk about um, antibiotic resistance. We've talked about this many times in this group, and that pet food is attributing to that. Now, this study that came out, of course, seemed to be like beeline towards raw food. Mm -hmm. There was, gosh, I wish I had the study here in front of me. While you jump over, I'm going to load that study. I believe 20 or so foods, 22 foods, I believe. From all categories. From all categories, 22 foods they pulled off the shelves. But 14 of those 22 happened to be raw food. And what they found was that dogs were developing antibiotic resistance and that they want the World Health Organization to step in and to do something about it. What's your take? Ooh, I have a lot of takes on this. But I think, Rodney, maybe before we jump in to viewpoints, opinions, social pressure, pet food industry pressure, and where this could be going, I think we need to back up and talk or explain to inside scoopers that don't know how and why this is occurring. A lot of people's question is, I'm just confused is as to why this is going on. So first we need to talk about how so many antibiotics get into our food supply. We have a serious food production quality control problem happening worldwide with how we raise livestock for food. And how we raise livestock for food is so damaging and so unethical and so inhumane that pigs, chickens, and cows worldwide many times have to go on antibiotics at birth and they don't come off of it until 30 days prior to slaughter. And we do this for two reasons. A small amount of antibiotics, which is really where this antibiotic resistance come in. When we give a small amount of antibiotics, it functions as a food additive to help animals grow faster. And how they discovered this, I have no idea. Any large animal that's in the room that can back up and backtrack how veterinarians figured out that basically giving... <clears throat> 
half dose or less of antibiotics on a daily basis to things makes them grow faster. I don't know what the mechanism of action is there, but what I do know is we're using antibiotics as growth enhancers for many of the foods that eventually become meat. And by giving them a dose of antibiotic their entire lives, they pass up. Okay. First of all, they're of course resistant to all the antibiotics because they're eating them every single day. So it's not doing anything to manage bacteria in their own body. But most importantly, those residues stay in their meat. Once they're slaughtered, they pass up the food chain and then anything eating those meats, including you and your dogs and cats or anything else that is consuming that those tissues that are laced with residual months and months and months of antibiotics, all, all of the byproducts of those lifelong antibiotics are being consumed by the species eating them. That's premise number one. The second issue is some animals like pigs are highly stressed. They don't do well in captivity. Those of you that have seen, you know, confinement facilities where there's a lot of animals crammed together, chickens that can't turn around. It's an animal, it's a massive animal animal welfare issue that ultimately has led to the need for massive amounts of antibiotics. In fact, the vast majority of antibiotics produced in North America are not consumed by you and I or our pets. They're consumed by the the, the food production industry, either as managing chronic uh, low-grade diseases in stressed animals or as growth additives. So we have a serious problem with massive amounts of antibiotics. So we have to understand how the process got started because we can't fix it until we understand how the issues got started. Yeah, so the study so the study was 55 samples, 25 brands. I think I said 22 brands. Uh, so it was 55 samples were taken, 25 brands, 22 wet, 14 frozen, eight bags of kibble, seven treats, and four uh, semi-wet that were collected. So that's the exact data on that study model. And then when I remember earlier, I was saying what the World Health Organization said, we're saying, so they said drug-resistant infection kill an estimate of 700,000 people a year globally. And the UN has warned that could rise to 10 million by 2050 if no action is taken. And so this is kind of where this has been spearheaded and pointed. And like I said, it's been, it was very fascinating. It's, listen, the Guardian knows very well, and I've seen The Guardian and I've seen the BBC, and they do this in the United Kingdom all the time. Remember when we were looking at statistics globally, worldwide, Australia and the United Kingdom are two places where the raw food surgeons, the feeding of fresh food is the strongest. If you want to piss off pet parents in those countries, you talk about raw food. Because had this been posted just as pet food, that article wouldn't nope. have taken off, right? Nope. Stick a picture of raw food and chuck a dog on there, and it's doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. When pet people are upset, they click on the links, and they share the links, not for support, but for frustration. But guess what? You're doing exactly what content creators want, right? Because content creators want to create engagement. They want to create controversy. They want to be able to create clicks and links and for advertising and so on and so forth. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy, but it's just the name of the game. If you open up a news outlet, you got to be able to show your commercial sponsors that you get a lot of clicks. And yeah, every single time they talk about raw food, they get a whole bunch of clicks. Now to go back to your... Um, you wanted me to reference like kind of what's happening around the world, what's Please. happening globally. I know that you've pulled up, um, no, it's not that one there. It would be this one. Yeah. So Scientific American in 2001, this is when this issue first came to light. A long time ago, the scientific community started discussing the fact that we're using this astronomical amount of antibiotics as a growth enhancer, as a feed additive, as well as to manage highly stressed animals, I wonder if there could be long-term consequences. And of course there is. The quotes coming out of the Scientific American study from ages ago is that tetracycline, penicillin, erythromycin, and other antimicrobials that are important for humans to save our lives are being used extensively in the absence of disease for non-therapeutic purposes in today's livestock production. So this was in 2001, Scientific American was kind of saying to, to North America, hey, we have a problem with the disproportionate and indiscriminate use of antibiotics. So they years ago, they said 13.5 million pounds of antimicrobials are prohibited in the European Union that we use in North America for livestock producers. So that's the other thing. And it's interesting because many of these antimicrobially resistant infections are occurring in America because we don't have the safety standards that European countries have. Europe has wisely said to 
to farmers looking to cram a tremendous number of animals into a highly stressful situation and grow crazy uh, gains in a short period of time, they've put better control methods on the antibiotics used and the amount that can be used and which antimicrobials can be used in Europe. In the U.S., we are still allowing all sorts of antibiotics that should be reserved to save human lives. When we get life-threatening, when we get life-threatening infections, we're still using those to feed our livestock. And it's devastating. So people in the comments are, are very, very wise. Their, their questions are, well, listen, can't we just feed naturally raised meats? Exactly. And in conclusion, the guardians remain in comments. If we've got to do something, we do have to do something. We have to take a serious look at welfare, serious look at how we're raising animals and decide collectively, regardless of the meat is headed for the pet food industry or headed for your supermarket, for you and your family or your pets. We have to look at the bigger issue of why are we treating animals the way that we are treating them? And we have to revamp and put limitations on which antimicrobials can be used and which aren't. So that's kind of the long-term strategy. In the meantime, Rodney, one of the things that came up in the arguments was why aren't people talking about other types of food? It appears this particular study, the fact that they they tested 14 raw foods and half that number of dry foods. It is suspicious, and we've talked about this before in Inside Scoop, that potentially the pet food industry, because raw foods are the fastest growing segment of the pet food industry, the big question is, knowing that this is an industry that is growing, knowing that the vast majority of ultra-processed pet food manufacturers do not produce raw foods, nor will they ever, what do you do to slow down the fastest growing segment of the pet food industry, raw and fresh food? What do you do if you can't join the market, you're going to have to try and take the market out? And we have said for years in Insight Scoop that probably the best angle is going to be human safety. My frustration is that I do believe that this is the beginning of sabotage, the media colluding with the pet food industry and many of the board certified nutritionists who work for big pet food, fear mongering this particular fact is really their only vantage point. We know that fresh food is healthier. We know that fresh food does uh, more for the genomic sequencing when it comes to up and down regulating your animal's uh, nutrigenomic environment. We know that food speaks to you and your animal's DNA. And we know that the least processing, more fresh, um, less heat, high heat processed foods. We know that they're healthier for all of our bodies. I don't think that they're going to start by regulating sushi, which is of course raw meat. They could start by regulating the sushi industry. I think where they're going to start Rodney is with pet food. And it's frustrating to me because they are ignoring the bigger issue and banning a category of, of pet food worldwide is not going to address the larger issue that you and your families are still consuming antibiotic resistant meats. It's frustrating. Well, I, <clears throat> here's a here's a study that I was flashing um, that was done in 2005, and actually a Canadian study that shows you know antimicrobial resistance every week when you go searching through PubMed. There's always an issue when it comes to antimicrobial resistance and the foods that people are eating. I don't I don't think this is going to be a problem that's resolved anytime soon. Mm -hmm. um, one of the fascinating things is, and we've talked about this before the importance of one of the things i think is very important is culture testing culture tests when you go when you visit your veterinarian how many how many antibiotics that dogs are resistant to and the bacteria that they have right we've talked about that multiple times is when you're when you're when you go to the vet if your animal is let's say has some sort of ailment that requires antibiotics and some pet parents don't do what's called a culture we've talked about this a zillion times on this podcast they start going down a series of different types of antibiotics that they have on their shelves and you go home and you might be going home. Odds are 50% chance of going home with something that, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, right? Which is a huge problem. This is one of those multifaceted problems that you lobby for animals, you lobby for dogs, you lobby for cats to be carnivores. You, you know, you try to feed them the best you can. Pet food manufacturers will lobby that they descendant of wolves and ancestors and we have more meat and we have protein and so on and so forth. But this is a massive problem because if you don't know where your meats are coming from, and if their odds are typically they're coming from factory farming and these animals are consuming all of these factory farm meats, yeah, this is a huge problem. Well, but my biggest frustration, in addition to trying to pin this on, oh, raw food is bad, are you kidding me? Our, the, the worldwide 
food chain is contaminated. And the fact that they're going to say this is this is because of one micro sliver of pet food, that is not only unfair, it's com it's completely inaccurate. The study that Rodney just showed was from 2005-2006. And what that research paper showed was that and if you think back in 2005-2006 that 98% of dogs in on Ontario from Ontario were eating raw food, I don't buy it. What this particular study shows is that dogs eating kibble had pathogenic resistant bacteria in their feces, the vast majority of them. And what were those dogs eating? They were eating plain old kibble that had the exact same effect on the body. Now, those of you watching probably are aware that kibble does not contain a whole lot of amazing meat. The meat that is in kibble for the most part if it's fresh, it's a very small amount. If it's meat meal, it may be a little bit larger amount. But the premise is it's all factory farmed meat that still has the same microbially resistant proteins included. Animals eating meat, if it's not organically free range pasture, you're probably going to have potential antibiotic residues mm -hmm. in that food. But it's not just raw fed animals. It's all animals eating meats coming from our tainted, poorly managed factory farm contaminated food chain. Yeah. So my frustration is for Guardian to say, this is a raw feeding problem. No, Guardian, this is a pet food problem. But and it worked. Listen, it worked. It worked. It did. Everyone's talking about it. Yeah. Everybody's messaging. Everybody's texting me. Everyone's like, oh my God, they're trying to take down the raw food industry. Today we had like one of the... Uh, business tycoons contact me who owns like several raw food companies around the world he he got the headline he's like what the hell do you think about this what do you think is going on here it's rattled a lot of people yeah definitely effective when it comes to rattling people this but as you said this is a global issue a meat yeah. supply what i mean look this is one of the reasons why i gave up meat because I, I said to you remember when i was talking about it i get one of the reasons i gave up meat so my pets could eat meat and i could try to do my best to take pressure off the planet earth i'm not going to fix the world because i gave up meat yeah. but it's the best is the only you know what else can i do there's this is going to be an eternal debate that they're having all around the globe no nobody's been able to figure it out quite yet there's alternatives we talk about it every week there's insect protein that people are talking about right now and maybe a potential out there to do something there's lab grown meats there's everybody's trying to come up at least with something so probably my favorite thought process comes from my dear friend, Steve Brown. Steve Brown said to me, we have 70% of animals in North America are obese or overweight. Yep. He said to me, if we take those animals that are being overfed empty calories from crappy pet food companies that are buying crappy meats from crappy slaughterhouse leftovers, and if we re-educate them to feed their dogs and cats appropriate number of calories, which many times is half. This is a point that we make in the forever dog book that when you begin feeding your dog or cat, the appropriate number of calories right there, you're going to feed far less food, far less food, because you're not feeding your animals obesity issue. You're feeding them for a lean body weight. So number one, the amount of food you have to buy is much less. If you can buy lean, high quality, ethically sourced, free range, antibiotic free meats, and keep that as the cornerstone of what you are feeding. You are going to be able to nourish your animals better, cheaper. And those of you that say, my gosh, oh no, because you, you were saying today, there is ethically sourced free range organic meats out there in commercially available nice. raw and fresh food diets, but they're like seven to nine bucks a pound. It's the price. It's, it's yeah. off the charts. It's, it's, well, the other thing too that you can do is sterilization. So if you want to, if you're trying, if like, if you're in yeah. fear of these type of bacteria transfers, I feel like what's going to happen here, we've talked about this a million times. Where does, where does the raw food industry go from here 50 years from now, right? It's going to be processing techniques that somehow can control bacterial contamination, right? I mean, you've got good bacteria, you've got bad bacteria. It's hard, right? Because how do you wipe out just bad bacteria and you don't take out the good bacteria with it, right? Well, yeah. And then you look at the type of bacteria that logically need to be in the, look, this is another conversation for one day. But if we really want to get technical with this, that some of the bacteria that they're, you know, they're trying to pigeonhole, this is natural bacteria in animals that actually helps animals that they're having issues with. Their fear is that sort of that transfer route. Guess what, man? Dogs have been living with people for over 
30,000 years, which is the debate between 30 to 15,000 years. This is going to be a huge, if they just try to pigeon, if they just try to focus this mainly on raw food manufacturers, it's not going to fly. I just think it's a it's an f- inflammatory piece that got people going. Yeah. There's going to be more. There'll be more and more articles that are going to come out like this because, listen, salmonella didn't work when they tried to warn everyone about raw food and a potential spread of salmonella. They tried with E. coli. It didn't work. This is a. This, it's just another technique that sort of comes in down the windpipe. But I right? guess what's so frustrating is we have an opportunity as journalists, as, as Guardian folks, we have an opportunity to talk about the bigger conversation, which is we, we are not treating our food animals Ethically, sustainably, healthfully, price. environmentally friendly. Price, price. When cheap, people listen, cheap meat. Look, look, let me no just more say, dollar menu. Look, like we have to wanna, take the dollar menu yeah, pledge. I don't want to cut you off, but just, just when I had a raw food manufacturer from my hometown approach me, and if you're a retailer, and let's say you're trying to sell raw meat, and then but the guy down the street is selling it for seven bucks, and you and your retail store, let's say you're selling it for seven, let's say you're selling it for eight bucks, he undercuts you. All of a sudden, he comes in with a product that's two dollars, right? right? And yours is $8. Okay. Yours is hormone and antibiotic free. He tells them, no, mine's hormone and antibiotic free too. How are you going to prove that? You can't prove that. So then now it becomes a price war between you and him. He's buying factory raised meat and telling you it's hormone and antibiotic free, which not true. Prove it. It's these price wars, right? So to tell pet parents, here's the struggle to tell pet parents to go out there and everybody go and buy hormone and antibiotic free meat, which they can't feed their, most people can't feed their families that exactly because of the price cost of it, right? This is a, again, this is a problem that is such a global issue when it comes to mass production of meat. So to go back to my farmer, this is what she says to me, because I didn't know this. This is what she says to me. I can bring the meat in at $2. No problem. I just feed my cows antibiotics. We've talked about this before. You've already mentioned this. If you feed a cow antibiotics, he gets fatter faster. Way faster. You destroy his microbiome, right? So if you're a farmer and you want to get a big batch of meat to be able to sell it to pay the rent on your farm, feed your cow antibiotics because he gets fatter faster and you got more meat production. You can sell more bags of raw food and your farm can be more efficient. Now you're the retailer. You got a choice. You buy an $8 bag of raw meat that's antibiotic free or you buy a $2 bag and, and most farmers will fib and say it's antibiotic free. So they buy it and then they sell it to the to the consumer because when the consumer walks in, looks at the freezer, $2 raw meat, $8 raw meat, they're grabbing the $2 raw meat. Yep. Right? So th- so how do you how do you defeat that? It's the same thing when it comes to pet food. Yes, there are companies out there that are now here's our here's our uh, certificate of analysis. We buy our meats that are hormone and antibiotic free. If you want to support us, support us. But this all comes back to finances, man. It does. This all comes back to the pet parent who doesn't want to feed pedigree, does wants to feed raw food, wants to do his best, sees it on the shelf for two bucks, says, I at least I'm feeding raw meat. Yes, it's full of antibiotics, but at least I'm feeding raw meat. It's hard, man. Well, and the it's, other, a, it's a dilemma. It's really a dilemma. So I think you're left with, if you are my best friend, Susan, she's a veterinarian. She decided five years ago she's only going to buy meats from her farmer's market because she goes to the farm that is growing the meat. She sees the animals out and about. She she basically can buy a quarter of a cow. They'll store it for her. She said to me, I'm going to be vegetarian except when I eat meat twice a week and feed my family, but I'm going to only buy happy, healthy cows locally from the farmers that I can see with my own eyes are growing their animals without hormones. That was a fantastic commitment on her part. If you don't have access to cow share co-ops and farmers markets and uh, or you if you're independently wealthy, you can buy beautifully ethically sourced clean meats. no problem. If you're on a budget, you're gonna have to par- you're gonna have to get really creative with meeting your local farmers. But by doing that, my mother has done that in Arizona and by doing that, by meeting the local people, she's doesn't she can't afford to shop at Whole Foods, but she has been able to meet her local farmers and they need support more than Whole Foods need support. It depends on how creative you will be to meet, to establish the relationships you need to source clean meat. Reducing your meat consumption uh, from cheap factory farms meats is is an option. If you can't, if you say, I'm not, I'm going to feed my kids through the dollar menu burgers. I'm going to feed my dogs with grocery store meat. You need to probiotic the heck 
out of your dogs and your kids, you need to provide a lot of chlorella. We've talked about this before. There are things you can do to actually reinforce the gut barrier to provide barriers against secondary antibiotic residues. And actually milk thistle is one of the things that is remarkably amazing at helping to clean out your animal's GI tract. Some brand new research when it comes to gut health and how it works. One of the things it does is that the fibers found in the milk thistle plant actually provide a means, it's a little bit like activated charcoal, where it can bind up environmental residues and toxins, including heavy metals and antibiotic residues, and help push them out of the system. So doing things you want to talk about this or you want to talk about milk thistle? I saw you, no, ju- I I saw you jump right no, into the, I, just, I thought you not no. cover my, here's the best part. Here here's the best go. part. I was like, Hey man, before we do the broadcast, do you want to go over the order of the slides? And you said, I don't let's start. I do. Because, but, but did you notice I teed you up? I said, heavy metals. No, said you said milk thistle. You said milk thistle, which did not tee up that study. And you're ruining my slide order. Dr. Well, Karen. Listen, Becker. I just want to do a little teaser. Let's stay on topic because this is kind of important because it is. look, the same week that that study came out pertaining to raw food, it also, you know, I was noticing in the section that a lot of, that um, some people were saying, who was it that commented that I'm in, uh, I'm in Australia and the meats, oh, Gabrielle. Hello, Gabrielle. Hello. She was like, here in Australia, you know, it's not as much of a common practice with cattle and sheep, right? Which is cool. I it's always hear, so I always true. hear Australians talking yes. about they always have the best meat. Yes. But the, you know, what's interesting that this study was in Australia, excuse me, in Portugal, Portugal. in Europe. So it's smaller. This isn't, you think this was a huge US issue, right? Because of all the problems, but this is actually in the smaller places in Europe where they're seeing the problems. However, they did mention in the study, they went after global brands. So I would assume a lot, this is speculation only because they wouldn't release the names of the brands. I wonder if they were American bags purchased from America sitting on shelves in Portugal. That's that's what I'd like to know. And who the raw food companies were. I would assume that if I lived in Portugal, it would be cheaper for me to import my raw food from the UK, would it not be, than assume, to bring it from America? I, I would assume. And in the, I know in the UK, they love their meat. There's no question. So I don't know what the statistics are in the United Kingdom if they use a lot of antibiotics in their meats. I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. know. I would assume. But I think, so Diana summarizes it beautifully. Ooh, can you scroll down? She said, the more we support our farmers who are organic and raise their animals ethically on species correct foods, the more they'll be able to grow. It's so true. And so even if you can only afford to do a little, it can make a massive difference. It's that is my exact, that is that summarize my sentiments perfectly. All right. If let's, we let's can do going. what we can to support organic, sustainable, regenerative farming, we are well on our way to stopping the horrible lives that factory farmed animals have to live in and the horrible byproducts passed up the food chain. You know, we're well on our way as well, reaching to the 30 hour, minute mark. All right. We every time we aim for 30 <laughs> okay. minutes, we always do it. Okay. We always do it. Okay. And by the way, you out talked me in that conversation. I did. If we look I did out talk. Okay, so th- this one's all you. I'm going to. No, I'm- no, no, no. This one, look, all this one is these two studies came out around the same time. So it's very fascinating that this one nobody paid attention to. Why didn't the Guardian talk about the this? The Guardian did not talk about this. That our pet so, was a flaw, arsenic. This is a massive title I have to read. Uh, Nutritional evaluation and risk assessment of the exposure to essential and toxic elements in dogs and cats through the consumption of pelleted dry food. How important is the quality of feed? This did not get any traction in the world because when you talk about kibble, man, it's a big problem, big box stores. So what they wanted to do, the premise of this study, it was so fascinating here. So the premise of this study was to see, is there a difference when you go in the market? Because now marketing is huge, right? So we have regular pet food. You have like economy pet food. You have vet pet food. But now you're seeing premium pet food. Super premium. Super premium pet food. Ultra premium pet food, right? And the way that consumers purchase, according to manufacturers, 91% of consumers care about the quality of the brand. So brand always comes first when choosing a food. Mm -hmm. That's how consumers work, right? They'll look, I I see this brand, they do a lot of commercial advertisement. This is a brand I want to look at. Oh, and by the way, this bag is more expensive than that bag. Therefore, this bag has to be a better bag. So in the first study of its kind, these researchers went out and they wanted to test 43 elements, never done before, 43 different types of elements that maybe they could potentially find in pet food. By elements, I mean toxic elements. They wanted to test in all these brands of food, rare earth elements, 
Like arsenic? Like arsenic. And then other minor elements. No one's ever done that. Typically, people will do like the major elements like mercury and things like that. But what they wanted to know was, is this still a problem, right? Because nobody is really studying elements, toxic elements in a bag of food. It's just not a thing, right? Nobody's really looking at it. Right now, people are looking at bacteria and strains. That's why that went viral. But what about the consumption of heavy metals? What about the consumption of like mercury and arsenic and so on and so forth? Well, this study made its rounds. And no one picked it up. No one picked it up. And the results were jaw-dropping. Researchers found that it didn't matter whether the bag was an economy like grocery store brand. Like Old Roy. Like Old Roy. Or whether it was premium or whether it was ultra premium. They were finding that, in fact, some of the ultra premium bags had more toxic levels of heavy, heavy metals than the bags mm. on the store shelves. And this just goes back to incredible frustration as a veterinarian that our food supply for our pets is not, there's no third party testing required. None. So no pet food companies are, are regularly checking for heavy metals. And because they're buying the raw materials from feed grade agrochemical suppliers that are pre-treating, that's how many of these heavy metals get into the food supply, where you, we use heavy metals as a drying agent. To, and it also is an anti, it's a, it's a fungicide. So metals prevent fungus, they prevent bacteria, and they help stabilize the food during transport. So we spray heavy metals um, that, well, we, we spray chemicals that include heavy metals onto the raw materials that the food producers are buying, but the food producers aren't doing third-party testing. The, the food producers aren't saying, hey, you're sending me a bunch of desiccated wheat and dried corn and sorghum. I'd like to see your third-party testing for heavy metals. They would never ask for that because all of the raw materials would fail. <sighs> okay. That being said, check this out. This isn't the first time that this type of study was done, first of all. Regina sent some stars. Aww, thank thank you. you. And Gabriella said, great slide. It is a it is a good slide. The slides will get better, I promise. I'm just learning this new format, man. This all change when Karen Becker comes back to town and B Adams, I gotta like start fixing up these you, slides. You have to step up your game. I gotta start and, and it was really hard this week. Let me tell you, it's really but I'll I'll get better, I promise. So this was a study in 2019 that took zero traction. And what they wanted to test was, okay, where the hell are these metals coming from? Like, this is the big question. So in this in, in this study in 2019, look, researchers found traces of metal, aluminum, and other minerals found in commercial U.S. dog food. Like chromium, 30 times higher than the daily human intake. Molybdenum. 15, 15 times higher. All 49 dog foods contain more molybdenum than other uh, amounts of scientific estimate that dogs need nutritionally. And then aluminum, Boy. 46 dog foods exceeded the equivalent daily human intake of aluminum. Now, this is this is the big de debate, right? Where on earth, this is a slide I think people like, where on earth is all this metal coming from? And it's really interesting, the theories that are there. Yeah. So I want to talk, that cued me in to talk about the theories. They don't know. When the first study came out in 2019, where the hell is all this metal coming from in kibble? We can't figure it out. They don't know. They have theories. So the first theory was, which is a very interesting theory, is aluminum and specific metals are used in additives. Yeah. Well, but keep in mind, it doesn't go on the label. So like aluminum phosphate sprayed on the top of feed, there's aluminum and phosphorus, which is not so good for animals with kidney disease, sprayed on the food, right? To stabilize it. But that, because it's sprayed at the raw materials, it doesn't go on the label. And because exactly. science diet, you can do and because Waltham and because Mars is not asking, Hey, can I see third-party contaminant testing on the raw materials we just bought for you? Cause I just bought four ton kilo truckloads, you know, in giant, um, they come in, in via train oftentimes. They're not doing third-party contaminant testing. So no one's saying, hey, I have um, 46 times the aluminum level in this batch of raw materials. No one's testing. It scares the shit out of me, actually, because what they said was the originally, it's a 1,000 milligrams per kg of food. So basically, that's one gram. So that's one-fifth of a teaspoon is allowed per eight cups of pet food. That's scary. On average, of just aluminum. Now, That's you got to factor in all the different metals. You wonder why dogs are in cognitive decline? It, it, Holy it, it, yeah, it's absolutely it's absolutely super scary. So now, the other theory to go back here and to talk about this, so where else could these metals be coming from? It has to do with the, the condensed version of the food. So typically, when you go out and let, let's use a 
Apple, for example, and Apple's a terrible example, but let's just use an Apple. All right, so as a pet food manufacturer, when you're going to buy your Apple, you're not actually buying apples and putting it in your food. You're buying a box of, a box of apple powder, right? So there's not one apple in there. There's like, what, let's go thousands of apples. And because they have to extrude it and remove all the moisture and condense it, right, the nutrients are gone. But guess what doesn't go away? The pesticides. And, and the metals. And the metals. But, yeah. And so that's where the potential accumulation of the metals could be coming from. So if you take every single ingredient on a bag of food and you condense it down into powder and then you add it to the food, is all of those heavy metals making their way through the food system that way? It's really, really a fascinating theory. They're not sure. I'm sure they're testing for it now. This one came out in 2019. This one just – even this one had no idea. But check out some of these statistics um, from this study right here. Cat food. Cat food was the biggest problem of all the foods. And actually what they referenced in this study, if you guys download the PDF, they said in multiple studies that when they were checking the foods, it was uh, in, in different studies, it was always cat food that had the highest amount of toxins. Cat food was higher in levels of all toxic inorganic metals than any other food. But if you think about it, that's because many cat foods are ocean-based so we have a contaminated water problem. We have a bioaccumulation problem in the protein, along with rice. How about arsenic in rice? Uh, rice, fish. There's fish in all food products. In fact, they said in the canned food that uh, one of the worst things, and see, it's a double-edged sword, because one of the best things that you can buy is wet food for a cat, right? Because you don't want to can food by far, in my opinion, um, when it comes to moisture content in kidneys, way better to feed than dry food. But the double-edged sword is the canned food typically has the higher levels oh, of yes. um, arsenic yes. in, in in the products, right? Because of all the fish that goes in, into those products. Man, what a, like, what a giant mess. I mean, look, today we're just talking about all these messes. Fret not, because we do have solutions and ideas. But this goes back to if I was feeding my dog and I'm not going to cue you to milk this just quite yet, but very in a, in a second, we talk about it every week. And the, two weeks ago, we did a podcast on sea algae and different uh, detoxifiers you can use. If you guys missed that and you're just fresh to this group, go watch that podcast because we talk about things that you can put in your pet food to detoxify metals. I... With all these, with all this research coming out, I think it's mandatory. It yeah. should be mandatory that people are putting this in there. But one last theory as to what's going in food was clay, clay or yeah. clay type of nutrients that people are putting foods that could be contaminated in metal. I don't think that would be a big one. Monorelic clay, if you guys remember, yeah. if anyone ever and, fed nature's bentonite. variety. Bentonite. Um, these are like, these are fancy type binders. Absorbent absorbance yeah. that people will put so they can claim gut health on the side of a bag that sometimes come along with heavy metals. So it is true. Many of these naturally absorbent products, clays, zeolite, bentonite, their surface area is massive and they do a, an amazing job of, of absorbing toxins, but in and of themselves, they are extracts of the earth. So many of them contain a lot of heavy metals. In fact, I th many of you have heard this story. I apologize for our veterans. When I, I had a client that asked me to source uh, zeolite for, for a product, I couldn't find a zeolite that was anything under 100 times higher than, than human toxicosis for heavy metals. I couldn't find a clean zeolite. So I said to say to my client, I'm sorry, I, I can't find one. Now, the manufacturers are like, listen, I know it looks scary that you see these whopper levels of cadmium and mercury and arsenic. Don't worry, that's naturally found in the product. And yes, it does contain that, but it will absorb further toxins and push them out of the body. And I said, I don't know anyone that's going to knowingly feed a product to their animals that have a hundred times higher heavy metals. I'm just not going to do it. So it is true that in and of themselves, some of these absorbent clays naturally contain heavy metals. And that's but they're not, but about. they're not bad things because I see Nicole yeah, saying yeah. here, interesting might actually, first of all, yeah, and go, exactly. Nancy and, just sent 500 stars aww, and said bravo aww, for being thank so awesome. You, Nancy. My Chicago client now in Cali, I hope you're doing well, Nancy. But to answer Nicole's question, like my dogs eat K on occasion, a clay on occasion. I, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with yeah. eating natural stuff. My, my dogs will lick up soil and eat soil, yeah. right? This is, you know, this is something that's done occasionally. Right. But one of the theories was that these pet food manufacturers are adding it every day, every single day. And if you're feeding the same brand of food every single day, that you could have high accumulation, right? And actually that is my second overwhelming take home message is rotate 
if you have to feed, even if you eat an all organic diet, do some detox. If you have to feed commercially available food or commercially or farm factory farm meats, don't panic. And I think above all, Scoopers, we're not doing this podcast to give you guys food fear. We want to do this podcast to empower you to have knowledge, to be able to make decisions in your environment. I, we live in the same toxic environment and world that everyone else does. We're just trying to get through this with options for detoxification and knowing enough that if we have a choice between this type of food or this type of food, we're able to know in our hearts that maybe we can make better food choices by gaining knowledge. Do we all have to detox? We do. And rotating brands is such an important piece. That is something that I can't stress enough. Rotate. If you have a favorite brand, that's great, but find three or four other favorite brands and rotate through a bunch of different brands. We're doing so well for the 30 minute mark. This is like, this is the best podcast I, ever. The timer? Oh no. Okay. But listen, we have, so we're, we're, here's my, there's saying. a lot of people here for milk thistle. Okay. But yes, there's a lot of, what would I kind of, I had, in either I had situation, point, regardless just, of what I'm you feed, move on. milk thistle is your friend, regardless of what you feed. So a couple questions. Um, can you, Carly says, can you rotate uh, different brands at every meal? Of course, rotate as many brands as you can. So let's say you can afford to buy two different brands right now. You're going to mix them together. 50% one, 50% the other. Great. If you can't, when you get down halfway through the bag of your current bag, buy different bag, different protein. The more I would, we, we would both encourage you to support your small independent retailer. And I think of it like a fine wine store. Start at this side and just try them all. Just go through and try different brand, different protein every time you go in there. When you get down half a bag, go in and buy the next brand, different protein and start mixing them together. So you don't have any GI stuff and then go right on to another brand over a year's time. You can rotate, rotate through a dozen protein sources. Oh no. What is my divide for? Well, look, look how you're all up into my microphone. Oh, oh I'm ooching. Yeah. Oh, like I got sorry. no space. I, I just, I open up the frame. You're just like all up in my grill over here. I can't even just have no room to work. Uh, Carol says milk thistle dosages, please. Oh, Carol. Oh, Carol. You have dosages coming your way. Sit down. But girl, yeah. we got you because Rodney prints in we, the mouth. We've got so dosages I'm not coming your overwhelm. way. All right. Listen, we got to get to the study. Let's We're, do it. We blew over the 30 so minute mark all, let's for talk, everybody that's Let's here. talk a little bit. Let's just a little background. Milk thistle is this beautiful herb. It's a member of the daisy family. It is. It has been used for hundreds and hundreds of years by indigenous people for everything we're going to talk about today. So um, that's your milk thistle. That's beautiful, lovely. The active ingredient in milk thistle is silymarin, and but that it, even within milk thistle, there's milk thistle. There's the thistle, the flower. There's the leaf, and then there's the root, and they have different medicinal properties. And so, milk thistle, of course, has been hailed as kind of nature's detoxifier. So most people in the group have been using it as a means of providing liver detoxification because it is front and center. Rodney's going to tell you some fancy schmancy stories. <laughs> it's a about milk thistles make me uh, donairs make me fall asleep too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. If, if I ate a two and a half pound sandwich, I also too would take a nap. Yes, it's true. It's kind of like a brick, like eating a brick. <laughs> so if you're if you're just joining the group, you missed it. But the Adams, our editor, was here. She was eating a lot of Donairs, which is a local sandwich here in Nova Scotia. And now we don't know if she's alive, but we, we hope she does. So yes, milk. Listen, this is my favorite herb in the entire world. In our book, the Forever Dog, it is like one of our top herbs because it's not only does it have superpowers when it comes to liver, but it's also for longevity. Every single time I see somebody that comes up to me and says to me, hey, man, my dog is having liver issues. I don't know if my dog's going to live. My doctor, like I keep going back to my veterinarian. Every week I go in, my, the liver enzymes are getting higher. It's scary. Listen, when you got an animal with liver problems, kidney problems, same thing. And you go back and you keep testing and those values keep going it's up. Scary. It is the worst thing that you can ever experience yep. in your entire life. Hands down, bar none, the biggest lifesaver in the entire world. Man, I've seen people. And I don't want to ruin it because I'm going to talk about it in a second. I've seen people save their lives with this herb. I put it in my post when I said it. You, If there's anybody in this group from Nova Scotia that's used milk thistle that I've met that we've talked about, jump in and give you, or if anybody's had the experience of milk thistle, please jump into the group and talk about it because it's like a magical herb. But check it out. This study that just came out last week, just another study of all the studies when it comes to milk thistle. The effects of psilibin supplementation. So psilibin, which comes from psilomarin, you say you call it silly marin. Silly. Silly. Because I'm silly. Which 
which is like the key component of milk thistle. So think of turmeric and then curcumin. Curcumin is like the powerful component to the turmeric. Or think of coenzyme Q10 and ubiquinol. Ubiquinol is the powerful component of coenzyme Q10. Here we are with milk thistle, silymarin, and well, there's, then- There's also silly Christian and yep. silly diabin. Yep. There's, it's broken. It, 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 yes. There, there's a lot of different fractions of milk thistle. And whether you do tincture, uh, as Scooper said, what form you can do tincture, you can do, you can do you're gonna raw jump into herb, this. you're going to jump into those you right can away. do, well, I'm just saying, so, yeah. so the, so the Scooper said, what, what form, whatever form your pet will eat. Kitties usually do better with a glycerin form, but if your kitty will eat the herb, it's fine. So dry herb in a capsule form. You can open up and mix it in your kitty's canned food. If your kitty's eating dry food, probably best to do glycerin. Yeah. And so capsule milk thistle, it's not, I love loose herb. You got to talk about this though, because you're the one that made me stop my entire system of how I was preparing. This well, it's not, listen, this dry the dry form of raw milk thistle is totally fine. It's beautiful. But what the research shows is it doesn't contain enough psyllabin to have the active ingredients necessary to do as much for maintenance. It's fine. If you have hepatitis inflammation of the liver. So if that, and people say, you mean hep C? Yeah, hep C too. So for humans that have viral hepatitis, it's amazing. For humans that have alcohol-induced cirrhosis from too much booze, it's amazing. Regardless of the reason why humans have inflammation of the liver or scarring of the liver, that's called cirrhosis, jaundice, yellowing. You know, when people turn, your animals turn yellow, that means that the liver is so damaged that it's releasing pigments and your skin turns yellow. All of those acute, significant, or even chronic land standing, like long-term alcoholism, obviously really hard on the body. Milk thistle is the best thing you could, that any recovering alcoholic could take on a regular basis because it's continually helping the liver cells called hepatocytes, not just regenerate themselves, but they actually help the liver detoxify. In addition to helping the liver detoxify, it assists in gallbladder detoxification. The gallbladder is the organ that sits in the middle of the liver. So it is just one of the most miraculous herbs because yes, it repairs the damage, but it also is hepatoprotective. That's a fancy word for it prevents the liver from becoming damaged. I'm going to talk about that more when we go over mushroom toxicosis. Actually, I'm going to talk about it now. No, no, no just hold okay. on. Okay. Just hold on. You jump in the gun. You get, you get, okay. You're getting carried away okay. too quick. Also, oh, also, I like that you went back into your frame. Um, I was just I, about to I, comment. I went back to my corner. Because when you look, get excited, look, you start hopping. Look, look, I'm going to put a book here. When you get excited, you start hopping, and I saw you hop, and then you, you just this cut is, into my this frame is my every hat? time. I'm going to get a glass wall or something put down here so you start jumping to my frame. But yes, listen, look at all the comments of people. Nahid, stars, uh, stars for milk thistle to help my pup when he was on a variety of heart meds that yeah. were hard on his organs. Flea and tick meds, man. You want to talk about how many people mm -hmm. come in to see me or to talk to me or stop me in the park and say, listen. I've been giving my dog flea and tick med and his liver enzymes are through the roof or they can't put it together. All of a sudden, somebody will come, somebody will go to the doctor. They have their perfect dog, their perfect cat. They get blood analysis, a wellness checkup, whatever it could be. And all of a sudden the vet's like, your liver enzymes are not looking so good. And then the pet owner has no idea why. They're like, well, oh my God, what's happening? What's happening? Now, I'm not saying this is happening every time. But it's, I am going to come out on a limb and say it's happening a lot of the time, especially with the FDA warning on flea and tick medication. Some people may notice a jump in liver enzymes. Yeah. Also, I'm not, I just get too excited. Dental, I know, is another one. You, you taught me that. But let me just digress from dental and just stick on flea and tick meds. What an incredible opportunity. I've seen people come in. They're like, my dog's liver enzymes are through the roof. I'm like, hey, man, you should try some milk thistle in your dog's life. They start adding milk thistle and those values come spiraling back down. Yep. Just have to tell that milk this. I story. like that. Ah, look, you put a picture of. I had to put that picture Aww. there. This is this is a this is a shameless plug. Well, listen, for any of y'all that don't know, I don't sell anything. I formulate products for a lot of great companies. I formulated this product. So when I say my product, I don't sell it. I don't make a dime off of it, but I did create that formula and I did third party test it. And I did look at all the COAs and I do. And this particular company, Mercola, pulls a product off their inventory shelves from, from all three warehouses and does twice a year third-party testing to independent labs for 
every possible contaminant. They are neurotic about third-party testing. So, and I get to see all those. So I formulated this product. So when I said, oh, I don't make a dime, but it's it's a good product. Not it's just because I made let it. Me, let not, me tell not you. Not just because I made anybody, it. <laughs> anybody that's in this group that's, that tried, like that product has saved lives, man. Like I've had people yeah, come in with, with puppy, with dogs with like puppies with like liver shunts, dogs with liver shunts. Um, dog got into something in the yard or ate, drank antifreeze. I remember a situation like that. Whatever the case may be, whatever especially people that are doing like cocktail rounds of medication and all of a sudden the liver starts going. How about poor animals at seizure that are on phenobarbital, right? That are on high doses of pheno. I do have to interject though. Yes. This herb does such a good job. Milk thistle does such a good job of detoxifying the liver that if you have a drug that you want that is metabolized by the liver, like phenobarbital, if you use it in doses over 50 milligrams per kilogram, you can pull the pheno out faster. It detoxes the liver so faster yeah. that, yeah, that you can have what's called breakthrough seizures. I read it too it, about curcumin as it well. Does, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Cle- it literally cleans your, it sweeps your liver clean. If you want chemicals in your liver, like phenobarbital to stop a seizure, you may not want your your liver swept clean, in which case you use a lower dose, like 25 mg per kg. I was so I was showing that earlier this, because um, man, I've been talking, whoops, I flashed the other slide too early. <gasps> Uh, here we go. I Because I've been, you know that I did my very first blog and it didn't take off. I deleted it. I was so embarrassed Aww. on Milk Thistle. I was so proud what of Milk year? Thistle. What year? 2013, 2014. I did a post. I was like, what is the first thing I want to talk about? And I remembered Sammy. Her liver was so bad. When I did those chicken jerky strips, not only were her kidney values obliterated, but I remember her liver enzymes were up as well, very high. And I had read about milk thistle. So I was like, you know, I was just, I want to talk about something magical. So I brought in milk thistle and I talked about it. Zero popularity. You'll see throughout the years, I've kept posting about milk thistle. There's an image right there that I made about milk thistle. Mm -hmm. One of the debates was when I put vaccines, people lost their minds because they're like, why would you want to detox vaccines out of the body, right? Was the adjuvants? It's exactly so. There, it's the metals. So most vaccines in veterinary medicine still either use aluminum or mercury as the adjuvant, and milk thistle does help chelate out metals. And so that that's one of the reasons that it doesn't. Yeah. yeah it what doesn't, about dogs taking insulin? That's yeah. Like, and so and you're you're fine with that. It does not. You're it does not metabolize in. in well, I shouldn't say it doesn't metabolize insulin. What it does do is it does help the body become sensitized, more sensitized to insulin and it can do a good job of helping to balance blood glucose. So it's, it will not remove the insulin, but it may help your dogs or cats become more sensitive to insulin, which means you may need a lower insulin dose. So just be aware of that. Um, it's like putting animals on raw food. Oftentimes you've got to watch the, the, those blood glucose levels because when you switch them from a high carb, high sugar, high glycemic diet to a low to no carb, low starch species appropriate diet, you oftentimes get to cut your insulin in half. And if you're not monitoring that, you can crash. So that's a great question. Literally, I the oh, there is no contraindications in giving milk thistle. I have given it to pregnant animals. I've given it to lactating animals. I've given it to brand new babies. I've given it to geriatric animals. I have given it to lizard, toad, snakes, ferrets, rabbits, monkeys, chinchillas, dogs, cats, alligators. I have given it to every species I have ever worked on with unbelievable success. And I believe the more we learn about milk thistle, the more we will stop and say, oh my gosh. And I think part of the reason is, first of all, I do, I think that this is a magic plant very similar to to turmeric. I do. Do I think that the more we study it, the more we're like, my gosh, everyone should be on it. Most recently, a study talking about it being a nootropic. Nootropics are smart herbs, smart drugs, smart chemicals that help turn our brains on. Do you know that last year, human study done in mice correlated to humans, but dogs are in between, that milk thistle actually reduced beta amyloid plaques in mice and in humans with Alzheimer's. So I take milk thistle regularly, maybe three times a week, and I just pop it in my, I have a pill caddy, I just pop it in my pill caddy. I am now going to pop it in more regularly because it is very, very good for slowing down age-related changes in the brain. I don't have any yet, but I don't want any. Um, It also is fantastic for, uh, do you want to show my next slide or are you not quite ready? I'm not quite ready because look look here. Like, so this was involved in the uh, study that we were talking about all the benefits to celomeric found in milk thistle. So one of the big things is people... um, I, of course, 
as you say, now you're talking about cognitive function. I attribute it to the liver. I always, I always just seem to uh, attribute it to the liver, right? Because it's the only thing in the world that accelerates liver regeneration. Like what an incredible way. But according to the study, on a molecular basis, silymarin inhibits lipid peroxidation and synthesis of reactive, reactive oxygen species. How cool is that? Um, it also interacts with the cell and the mitochondrial membrane, modifying the flux of substances through them. This is huge because the mitochondria, according to many cancer specialists, when you when you damage the mitochondria, that is a great way to create a cancer cell. Mm -hmm. So now it becomes sort of an anti-cancer supplement. So the prevention of damage to the mitochondria, which are the power packs, the power batteries, if you imagine like a cell phone, the battery onto it, that is the battery pack, according to scientists, uh, to healthy cells. Well, and I don't know if you were able to ever, when we talk about cancer in a minute, I don't know if you were able to work that slide. And if you weren't, I'll post the slide after. Brand new research, yeah, I only, Sarah. I only have Sarah. the dosages. Okay. I only okay. have dosages. Okay, no worries. So I'll post yeah. a picture afterwards that explains what researchers are now beginning to think. The number of different, it works especially well on epithelial-based cancers. So Sarah McKeegan, hi, Sarah. I can't wait to see you. Um, Sarah said, what about cancer and liver disease? That's a perfect time because what we're realizing with milk thistle is yes, it does reduce ROS, reactive, reactive oxygen species, but it inhibits abnormal cancer cell replication for prostatic cancer, breast cancer, bladder cancer, lung cancer, and skin cancers. It works exceptionally well with skin cancers. And interestingly, I have never in my life used milk thistle topically but some brand new studies coming out that because it blocks histamine, it, it, it reduces histamine secretion and it so powerfully reduces histamine that they're using it on for managing inflammatory skin reactions in mice. So they, this is so gross. It, laboratory research is just disgusting. I, I don't want to talk about the study, but they create wounds in mice. And then they use topical thistle and it heals it faster than any medication known. And they believe it's because it blocks histamine from having an allergic reaction. Now I have used it regularly for allergic dogs. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. If you have an animal with allergies, it does such a good job at preventing mast cell deg degranulation. So mast cells are part of the inflammatory complex that sparks when dogs have an, or kitties have an allergic reaction, but there's also mast cell cancers. So as of two years ago, I have started including milk thistle in my mast cell cancer protocols because it does such a good job at blocking histamine. Whatever blocks histamine also is fantastic for allergies. So if y'all are thinking, what about my allergy dog? Mm-hmm. A really, and especially if you have an allergy dog on drugs like Apoquil or any of the other traditional allergy drugs, milk thistle will be your friend, not just to help minimize those secondary reactions from potentially, you know, dog, the drugs that do have side effects, especially long-term, but it can actually in and of itself help reduce mast cell degranulation, which is like a beautiful blessing and detoxifies the liver at the same time. So, so lots of questions when it comes to, uh, are there any contraindications in relation to surgery? Now, I know that there's a couple studies out there that when it comes to milk thistle, especially supplementation in general. Yeah. Um, to, to, to halt all supplements. I know, what was it? Was it Stanford that I just, yeah, Stanford yeah, was, it, was saying that um, it it may weaken the effects of crucial drug administration during exactly, surgery, right? So stop does. taking a week before yeah. an operation. This is interesting because, yeah, when it does come to surgery, there's many things. Uh, Omega-3 fatty acids, and I believe too, vitamin right? Vitamin E, curcumin, omega-3s yeah. all have to be stopped prior to surgery. And what happens with milk thistle is it just pulls the drugs out so fast. So do you want your patient waking up in the middle of anesthesia? No. Do you want your patient to clear pain medication rapidly? You know, you don't. But keep in mind, guys, this is all dose dependent as well. I would recommend you look for a product that has a minimum silymarin content or silibin content of 70%. And the reason that I like herbs that have been standardized, it means if it says on the front standardized, it means that they have double checked that each batch of herb you're getting is a certain amount. And the reason that that's good is if you're doing something like trying to manage ALT or liver enzymes or trying to manage a condition, you could get one batch that's weak and not as potent and one batch that is more potent. And it's no problem. Like that's the beautiful part about food is these numbers. This is not standardized and this will be all over the board. So I'll make tea out of this. I do not have a liver condition. I'm not managing 
cancer, if I have a condition that I really need to know I'm managing, I would get a standardized extract or a standardized supplement. If you are just using milk thistle for well-being, like I am, it's totally fine to use raw herb. No problem at all. And some people will say, I really prefer whole food form. Then raw herb is your friend and you don't have to worry about standardization at all. Some people wild craft it and that's even cooler. If you can grow your own milk thistle, totally do it. And you can make milk thistle tea and you can rehydrate your dehydrated or, or you know, freeze-dried dog food with it. You can use milk thistle tincture and you can make your own products. And it's, you're totally safe in doing that. If you're managing a medical condition that you want to know in your heart, you're getting a certain amount, that's when I would say you need to stick with a product that's been standardized. Um, okay. So a couple of different things. The wellness dose. Can I just say this before you jump into doses? Yes. Because we're, we we're getting close to the 30 minute mark. Oh, for crying out loud. The reason why these aren't ground, right? One of the reasons why they're not ground is, is because drying out the oil process, you know, the grinding up seeds oh, in yeah, general, oxidizes them. Oxidizes yeah. them. So small tip when purchasing, if you can buy them when they're whole cool. and grind them yourself, fresher. Yeah. I was mentioning that early in the broadcast because I used to grind them. And then when I saw you, you were like, hey man, if you can hold your seeds before grinding them, same thing with pumpkin seeds, same thing with any same, type of seed, same right? Same with all seeds. All seeds, yeah. If you, if you can... Hold off until the time you need them, those just freshness. Yeah. Small tip. Sorry for cutting you off. Rachel just sent you All 100 true. stars. And Aww. Allison says, she, love your hair. The mane is out. Actually, that's the other thing that's the issue too, because it's not, sometimes it's not you. Sometimes it's the... Oh, you feel... you feel. Um, it's a little down today. It's not as... Well, not as obnoxious it's amazing, as... Allison. You noticed right before I left, my hair grows really fast. Obnoxiously awesome. My, my hairdresser cut like six inches off because... I'm just going to be here for a while. And I hate, I hate, I hate doing it. I hate going to the, I love my hairdresser, but doing anything that takes away from time of doing anything meaningful. If, if my hair could go into the flowy thing and I could cut my own, I would do it. Cause I just, an hour getting your haircut is an hour wasted. Okay. You could be, you could be doing other amazing things. So we, we hit our 30 minute target. It's only one hour and 30 minutes in. We just blew over by a little Rachel, bit. Rachel is correct. Yeah. Every single week. People are like, please just we give tried. us 30 minutes. We tried. And we try every week. And every week we blow over by an hour. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Inside Scoopers, for joining us. It's nice to be back in Nova Scotia. It's wonderful. You just got 500 stars for uh, your hair. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Michelle sent you. Okay, this is amazing. Right. For someone who really doesn't care about hair, I love it that I'm getting bonus points for hair. Yeah. And then Han awesome. Hannah says, can someone check Bee's pulse? It's so I don't true. know if she's alive. No, it's she's still She out. hasn't moved. I, I think it's It's called the donair coma. No, it's the donair oh, coma. It's This is... Listen. Listen, I believe we should administer milk this When anyone in the inside school comes to visit Halifax, please contact me. I will take you out to get the famous donair. But just know it might stop your heart temporarily. Because I don't think she's alive. She doesn't move. She doesn't move. No, she's out. No. We're gonna I'm a doctor. Yeah. I'm going to go check on her. Inside Scoopers, can't wait to see you next week. Have a great week. What, Welcome what to the new studio, man. Yeah, I don't know. It. It's gonna be it'll be we always figure out something cool. But new studio, you're back. Inside Scoopers, we love you. See you next week. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. More stuff, more awesome studies, more Dr. Karen Becker's hair. B is dead, but that's okay. We'll bring somebody else in. Anybody that's looking for an editor job, drop a link in the comment section. Bye, Inside Bye. Scoopers. <laughs>